Hello again. Yes, again. It's me, Phil Croshaw, once again. And uh, today in this Passions episode, I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Helen Palmer. And Helen is going to be talking to us about her passions for theatre, for dance, for film, for the arts, and everything in between. Enjoy. Hello, and yes, it's another edition of Passions. Gosh, the amount of value we're bringing to you people at the moment is off the scale. And I have another guest today, and today I'm joined by Helen Palmer. And Helen is going to talk to us about her passions and about what she does. And, and I'll also probably ask her about uh, how's COVID been treating her, which seems to be a part of any conversation at the moment. So, Helen, very warm welcome to Passions. Tell us who you are and what your passion is. Hiya, Phil. Thanks for inviting me on today. So um, I'm a marketing and audience development consultant and I work across arts, culture, heritage and tourism, um, mainly in the UK, a little bit um, internationally. Um, I started out actually thinking I was going to work in the tourism industry, having done a, a tourism degree, um, but actually I've had a passion for the arts in the broadest sense uh, and including uh, film, which is a really big passion of mine, since I was a child. Um, I have a twin brother, Andrew, who's also my business partner, and we were very lucky as kids to be taken to the theatre, to museums and historic houses and the cinema on a regular basis by our parents. And so I don't remember a time before having that passion and to be able to turn that into a career. I didn't know that at school. Um, nobody tells you that you can work in the arts if you're not actually going to be an artist, a performer or, or a maker. And so it was only really when I was doing the final year of my tourism degree and I took um, an arts management and a marketing and marketing module that I thought, oh, hang on a minute, I, I, could, I could do this. And then, of course, the reality hits when you try and get into the sector. It's a very uh, competitive sector to work in, despite the fact that the hours are not great and the pay on the whole is not great. Um, but it's because of that passion for the subject matter. And so I was lucky enough, supported by my parents, to be able to volunteer uh, for a number of different arts organisations. And I really wanted to start working in theatre. So I did everything from front of house to box office to stage management, helping with props. I even um, did the sound and lighting on one show, which made me realise I really didn't want to do that. Not my skill set. Um, and... And eventually I was able to uh, start working in theatre. My first, I would say, proper job in theatre was with the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester. And I worked as the, the term, which is not a term that's used particularly now, as tour publicist. Uh, and we took The Importance of Being Earnest, Oscar Wilde's uh, wonderful play on tour around England. The Royal Exchange um, has a mobile tour unit 
um, which used to go out around the country. And it was an amazing experience. And as a result of that, I then got a job with the Library Theatre Company in Manchester, which is sadly no longer in existence, but that was two theatres, one in the basement of Central Library, hence the name, and the other in Withenshaw, which is um, about eight miles south of the city centre, uh, called the Forum Theatre. Now that does exist, but not for, not for theatre as we know it anymore. Um, so I was there for about four years and really learnt the craft of marketing and PR in theatre and, and the arts. And then I felt ready for a new challenge and I moved to the Lowry, uh, which is the, the major arts centre in Salford Keys. And I was uh, fortunate to be there when the building was being built and set up the marketing and communications and box office function. I spent a lot of time on that site in a hard hat, wellies and a high-vis vest, crawling all over the building, um, taking people round. Um, I always maintained that uh, when it opened, I knew the building better as a building site than, than an actual <laughs> working um, theatre uh, and art gallery, etc. etc. But I, I decided that I didn't want to go back into a venue or an arts organisation full-time. I'd really got the bug for what I'd class as project-based work, something that's involved in the setting up of something and maybe um, had a finish maybe had a you could yeah. stand back and go wow and yeah. then move on to the next one <laughs> yeah and i'd i'd spent yeah. years in that cycle of of theater seasons and the pressure of selling tickets and and i felt like i didn't want to go back to that um and i applaud anybody who does that on a long-term basis because it's not it's really not easy and so i went um freelance um, and I was freelance from, on my own for about six years. And one of my big projects in that was setting up and being part of the delivery team for Manchester's 2002 Commonwealth Games Cultural Programme, um, which was an extraordinary experience. And um, we were working across the northwest of, of England, but I was part funded by the Commonwealth Games team so um, I was very involved in the national programme um, as well. We were part of that national uh, programme. Actually, nobody remembers that bit. Um, they all remember Culture Shock. Um, and the brilliant thing is that so many of the organisations that we worked with, the legacy is still visible. And years later, I was then part of the setting up the Manchester International Festival, which is a direct legacy of that Culture Shock programme. And I spent four years uh, setting up and then being the marketing director for the first um, Manchester International Festival, which I'm hugely proud of and has just gone from strength to strength. Um, and partway through that process, I, because I realised that in order to, to be able to do that properly, I would have to go full-time for the last year. Um, at a time when my brother who, had worked in the arts. My brother worked for um, in the museums and visual arts sector in marketing. Uh, clearly a twin thing, I don't know, uh, on, our, on being brought up with that passion. Um, he'd then gone to work in some uh, marketing agencies and was missing working in, in the arts. And I'd got too much work, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it all. And so very quickly we decided to go into business together. And it meant that Andrew could look after uh, the clients that I had 
And so that I had a business when I came out of Manchester International Festival, because again, I was asked to, to stay as I had been with the Lowry. And I thought, apart from the fact it nearly killed me, I have to say it was, uh, we were a relatively small team for the scale of what we were doing. And I was responsible for marketing, communications, box office, volunteering. Um, and it was, it was brilliant. It was an amazing experience, but I, I felt it was it was time to to move on, and so that's when my brother and I set up Palmer Squared. Um, so that's been going now for over fifteen years, uh, and and we work across the country, and we have a, a really interesting selection of of clients that we work with. And then one of the projects that we were working on um, was something that turned into a, a website called CreativeTourist.com which is a what's on listings website that promotes the cultural offer across the north. It started off promoting Manchester's museums and galleries and then very quickly um, expanded because after Manchester International Festival, I was asked to go and lead the um, strategic marketing unit for uh, Manchester at Marketing Manchester. So. Um, it was moving from the council into Marketing Manchester. So I did a, well, I went for about three months and was there for a couple of years, um, part-time as a, as a consultant still. And I got to work on so many projects, not just in arts and culture and tourism, but working with Midas, the Inward Investment Agency, with obviously with all of the 10 um, boroughs um, of Greater Manchester, working on international projects, um, working with the um, um, new economy, which are uh, economic development unit, with all sorts of things that um, I would never have had the chance to do um, anywhere else. And, and it's, it's, nice to, it's nice to hear that, actually, because um, as, a, as a fellow Mancunian, as we identified at the, before we came on air, um, interestingly, I know all these places. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, which is really nice, you know. So, in fact, I've got a meeting, funnily enough, at Salford Keys later on today, and uh, and it's it's interesting for me to hear you talking about uh, uh, the Lowry Theatre, which, of course, I've been as a customer and a consumer, and uh, now when I go again, and hopefully that won't be too long with the with the way yeah. things have been. Uh, I'll be able to go in and just think, oh, Helen, Helen yeah. sorted this out, you know, which well, is one of the nice things about about doing these interviews. Um, and of course, now, now, of course, uh, being a fellow Mancunian, we'll probably be seen as the Gallagher brothers now. Mad for it now. Mad for it. Oh, that uh, makes me cringe. That makes it me does, it does. It I am does. a City fan, but um, in, in a week that thankfully the European Super League is not going to happen and, and the shame of my, my club being part of that. But uh, they've apologised today. Um, yeah, no, that was that was absolutely it. So you must have been, um, you know, a lot of, I think one of the things we talk about a lot on Passions is people's abilities or opportunities to turn careers turn their passions into careers or businesses. And uh, you're living proof of somebody who's done that. When you look back, um, what would you say you did or how did you approach it to help ensure that you were one of the relatively few, actually, Helen? Some people take it for granted. But how? what would you think the key drivers were to ensure that you were able to get into earning a living from your passions and or staying there well uh sheer bloody-minded determin determination <laughs> i was brought up surrounded by um 
strong women in my mum, my my grandmothers, um, and that sense of um, you know you you can you should be able to do what you want to do. Now I know I'm in a privileged position in comparison to other people who want to and do work in the sector. I've not had the same kind of barriers to to deal with. Yeah. Um, but I did. Um, I did realise very quickly when I'd applied for lots of jobs and because, you know, I graduated in the middle of a recession um, in the early 90s. Nothing like what we're in now, obviously. Um, yeah. But I, I realised very quickly that I needed to make contacts and it might not come across, but I am a naturally shy person. And the ability to network in our sector is absolutely crucial. And so I did my homework. I, I, I attended conferences. I would, you know, that plucky 20 something kind of going and pestering someone quite senior in the sector and saying, could I just have a quick word with you? And, and the interesting thing is some of them were brilliant, really supportive, really helpful. Some of them a bit dismissive. And it's really interesting because I remember one and I can't name the person who was quite dismissive. And I don't think they'd even remember now, but I am now a, a, a colleague of, you know, uh, and work with quite regularly. And they don't remember that they um, they weren't really interested in talking to me when I was uh, up and coming. Um, and so I'm always really, really keen when I get approached by students or, or graduates to see if, if I can help um, and, just give some advice, contacts, that kind of thing, because it made a difference to me when I was coming through. And I think, you know, the reason I got the job at the Royal Exchange Theatre was because I really, really wanted to work there. And so I joined the Friends organisation so that I could do volunteering. So I, I did front of house volunteering and I volunteered in the costume hire department and I got to know the teams. And then any time jobs would come up, I would apply for the jobs. And I think in the end, they probably gave me a job just to, to shut me up. Um, but I, I just worked very hard and I, and I did my research. I did my homework. I, I did all sorts of things just to, to really understand the sector that I wanted to work in. And, you know, this was before the Internet. So, you know, that was, um, it, you know, now it's so much easier. Um, so. It was very much that sense of this is how our sector works. Word of mouth is so important in our sector. And whether that's right or wrong, it, it is still the way. It is still about who you know. And we still have too many people in our sector who've got in who ne don't necessarily have the skills and expertise, particularly on the marketing side. It drives me insane when I see people thinking it's just a route in to get to the department they really want to work in. Um, used to have that a lot when I worked in theatre and it was really people wanting to be on the stage and I'd say well this is not the department for you um, so yeah my long-winded answer to that question Phil is 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 hard work research networking yeah no it's it's, it's great that because um, we offer we provide something a, a, a number of programs uh, consultancy coaching uh, training type programs under the brand of getting to wow and uh, we utilise 12 key components that um, I've identified over the year, over years of research and in interviews, about 600 in total now. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, one of the 12 elements is networking, uh, reaching out to people, involving others, whatever you want to call it. But we just call it networking as a catch-all. Yeah, um, it, it, it's critical. Still, 
it's still so important and, and now it's really really important and I think <laughs> because I've been around a, a while now I've got good connections so it's good connections with mm. other consultants because we get a lot of work from other consultants bringing us in and vice versa so you have those regular consultants and other agencies that you work with and you pitch for things together with former clients some of which they bring us back in to do things or those people move on somewhere else and then bring us in and it's so important so every project you do you need to make sure it's a good experience all round because they could be future clients um, they will also recommend so a lot is recommendations I mean we have to you know pitch for a lot of work through formal tender processes particularly with the public sector I mean wow, the, the hoops we have to jump through for relatively small amounts of money in comparison to, say, I don't know, big government contracts um, is extraordinary. Be, been there, done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it drives so, me crazy. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, due diligence and, and it's public money. Yeah. Um, so, But it, it is so much about having your um, equivalent black book um, of, of contacts. Yeah, no, it's very true. And, and and one of the other 12 elements on there is what I call BHW, which is bloody hard work. And, uh, you know, it's clear from what you just said there. One of the things that comes up a lot with these interviews is when you start to dig around is, is the amount of hard work that's gone in. And especially in a world where we're in a world of instant gratification and, and not arguably even instant gratification and entitlement. So the patience elements you know like uh, like amazon you know amazon started to deliver and you got it within two days and you thought it was amazing then of course in manchester before the pandemic they were starting to deliver on the same day yeah yeah you know and, and, and all, everything's instant 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 yeah. instant um so of course in business we all know it's not it's very rarely is it instant to build those rapports and those relationships and that no like and trust that you're talking about can take an awful long time yeah and i think you know if you're going to work in this sector um it, you need to be a people person you need to enjoy meeting lots of different people understanding the politics around those relationships and i have to say i, I don't know if it's a slightly masochistic streak but i do enjoy those kind of nitty-gritty challenging um discussions i call them discussions uh, that you can have with clients and and stakeholders a term we use a lot in, in our in our world where you're you're working with partnerships with people with lots of different views um and trying to bring them together in, in a kind of unified way so that they can work together going forward so we work with a lot of i mean place is such a buzzword at the moment but we've been doing it for for years so working in, in a geographical area where you're working with lots of, of partners and stakeholders, public, private sector, third sector, academic, you know, you, you name it. And thinking about the purpose of, of that place and that destination and what it wants to achieve. So we do a lot of work around um, cultural tourism, heritage tourism, place branding um, and destination marketing. Um, and so and we actually generally it's another of our passions because travel has always been a, a passion of, of mine but I don't necessarily mean just international travel which of course has ground to a halt but discovering new places and getting under the skin of those places 
And that's one of the things we try to do with our, our website, creativetourist.com, is when we talk about places, we want it to be more of an insider's view um, and, and uncover those interesting um, cultural experiences that you might not necessarily find, as well as those you know bigger, more established ones. Um, because that's the thing that gets us excited. So if it gets us excited, we know it's going to get other people excited. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you talked there about film. So going, I suppose, what you might call to a deeper level of your passion, um, is it is it is the particular types of film that you're into? You know, is it Dirk Bogart or showing me age now, uh, or Paul hey, Newman? I, I was lucky enough to meet him um, years wow. and years ago when he when he did a talk at the Royal Exchange Theatre. Uh, lovely man, much smaller than than you think. Uh, well, a bit like me, really. I'm a bit lot smaller than people think. They all ever see me on here, and I'm, I'm only five foot five. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's another well, conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about how how deep my passion for film is. In my yeah. spare time, um, I did a master's in in uh, film in humanities, films, film, and a PhD, which I completed last year. Uh, so, wow. yeah. Uh, I, I'll be honest, if I knew what PhD entailed, I'm not sure I really would have started it. I just thought it was a master's, but bigger, it really isn't. Um, so I don't know if you can see behind behind me over, oh, get my finger right there. Yeah, I always that's, have this problem as well. Yeah, that, yeah. that half poster there is actually yeah. um, a Portuguese lobby card for An Affair to Remember starring Cary Grant and Deborah Carr. Uh, so it's it's classic Hollywood, but my PhD was in Hollywood musicals. Which right, is, so it combines two of my passions of dance and film. Right, um, so musicals is something that you really love. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, more of the older musicals rather than some of the contemporary musicals, where the, a lot of them don't really do it for me. This, I, 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 I love <laughs> things where there's a really strong melody and wonderful lyrics, and um, yeah. So I'm Seven Brides know, for Seven Brothers. Yeah. Is yeah. that a good example? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when I was little, because I did dance, I did, yeah. uh, I had a weak ankle when I was, when I was young. And so my mum, who was um, a school nurse and always looking for creative uh, ideas, um, took me to dance classes to strengthen my, my ankle. And uh, so I did ballet and tap as a, one of those little girls who did that. I, have, I still have my Royal Academy of Dance certificates and medals. And um, so my passion for dance started very early and I was torn between wanting to be Margot Fontaine who was a prima ballerina with the Royal Ballet or Sid Charisse um, obviously um, everybody remembers that green dress in Singing in the Rain uh, I was never going to be near anywhere near either um, but I, uh, I I maintained that passion and, and funnily enough when I was doing my in the early years of my PhD because it took me seven and a half years cool. doing it very part-time there were some years I just was too busy with with work and I couldn't do very much and um so I had to keep putting it down and picking it back up and I realized how much I missed doing dance so I started an adult ballet class again um about six or seven years ago and uh, and I absolutely love it I mean I'm never going to be brilliant um but I love it and it, it just um I feel it very much it's a, an emotional connection for me and um, it's very hard to describe how it makes me feel, but um, yeah. Well, I, I, do you know? Do you know what, Helen? You, you can tell. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, and, and it's true. I've, I've done, you know, I've done quite a few interviews now and it's amazing how when you start to talk to people about their passions, they, they light up. Yeah. So here, oh, wrong one. Yeah, there is uh, half yeah. of um, a picture that's uh, different ballet costumes. Um, so, you know, and I, I've been so fortunate during lockdown to watch so much fantastic dance. And I've been really encouraged to see how so many dance companies have been really creative about choreographing for the camera. Um, but also companies all over the world that I would never get to see their work um, that I've always known about, or they might tour to the UK occasionally and they might come up to the Lowry. Um, so that's been one. I mean, I was watching Bally BC last night, who were a Canada uh, company. And so it's been one of the things that's helped me through uh, COVID is watching old films. So I'm currently participating in hashtag precode April on, on Twitter. So it's watching a precode <laughs> film every day and then talking about it on Twitter. Um, and uh, Carol Morley, who's filmmaker originally from Stockport, who in the first 20 weeks of the first lockdown, she did a Friday film club where she chose a film that was publicly available that either was written or, and or directed by a woman with a, a strong female cast or, or, or lead from all over the world, all different uh, eras. And uh, and we watched that and chatted about it on Twitter. And, um, you know, if, it's going to it's going to be interesting in years to come. I think our memory of what it was like in those early days of COVID will start to, to dissipate. But in those early days where we really didn't know what how long it was going to be, well, we still don't really know, but the, the, the kind of sense of isolation and disconnection to have something like that to look forward to and connect with a community was so important. And it's like you've got a whole new group of friends that you've actually never met in person, but you have this shared common interest. When I look back, it's interesting you should say that because when I look back um, at it, I was really excited. And that sounds awful because obviously on the health, on the health grounds and people were, were suffering and all the rest of it. So I, I'm parking yeah. that aside a minute. But I remember thinking, because I'm quite a creative person, and believe me, when I say creative, as my dad used to say, you couldn't draw your breath. So I can't draw, I can't, I can't, I can't art, or, but I am very creative business ideas wise. So the idea that clients were coming to me and saying, right, okay, we're in the deep doo-doo. Uh, we need to, we need your help to try and create some ad adapting, pivoting, they called it all yeah, the cliche, yeah. didn't they? But the pivoting and the acting, I was like, I'm, I was in my element because it took me into this creative place of figuring out how are you going to make money? How are you going to survive? And that was the words that we all, I kept using. Yeah. Forget about growth, which was the, yeah, the, yeah. the conversation before. How are you going to survive so that when you come out the other end, you've still got oxygen in your lungs? <laughs> Yeah. And you can then crack on with the new yeah. the new scheme of things, whatever that looks like. Um, and, and I think the other driver as well, and I'd be interested to get your views on this, was suddenly we had time to think and time to play, in a sense, rather than rushing about, jumping in the car, jumping out the car, jumping on the on the tram as we in Manchester. Uh, we suddenly had time to think and reflect and consider. And that was luxury. Yeah, and I think one of the things for us is as 
uh, as our com with our companies because my, my brother and I run Palmer Squared and then we're also two of co-directors of CT Consults with with three other um, directors and we spent so much time on the train traveling around the country sometimes you would travel for hours to go to a meeting that could last an hour or so and then you get back on the train and to not have to do, and obviously we'd be working on the train but to not have to do that and and hopefully we won't have to do as much of that going forward because now we're all very comfortable with um video meetings although you know constant video meetings every day is exhausting but the ability to say do you know what let's have a have a video meeting and then when we need to come down and spend a bit more time and particularly when we start on a project it's really important to meet people in person to go and see the place to go and see the organizations you can't replace that by video um to do that but then once you've established that relationship you shouldn't have to keep doing that kind of ridiculous amount of traveling for you know an hour or an hour, hour and a half's meeting and so but the thing for us was um yes on the one hand we had more time to think but on the other hand we had to very quickly think how are we going to continue to pay our staff mm. how are we going to continue to run our business when most of our workers has just stopped it's just been put on hold so we had to very quickly go into that creative idea generation to think right well this is what we we could do and um you know we have a brilliant um md alex saint and she um she really helped steer us through that luckily we'd also pre um covid just joined the um one of the, the growth hub programs in greater manchester for mm. creative industries so we had a resource that we could draw on to help us which has been phenomenally helpful actually um, so the timing was perfect in that sense um, and and we're still um drawing on on that that support locally um but the the i wouldn't say it was like we had masses more time to think it was more that we're using the time in a different way to creatively brainstorm how to keep our businesses going and how to still fulfill the, the client requirements and how to make sure that when businesses were ready to come back that we were front of mind yeah absolutely and and, and prepared and ready for it uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. It's funny because uh, I've had a, a couple of conversations with people recently and people talk about being Zoomed out at the moment, oh, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, and all about Zoomed out. And I, I've said to a few people, when you're stuck in a jam on the M60 yeah. and you're an hour late for a meeting, it's peeing down with rain in October and you've not moved for an hour and a half, you'll be yeah. looking back thinking, maybe i took it a bit for granted yeah 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 or the classic one where you're on your way home from bristol and it's in the evening and your train's cancelled and then uh the next train's cancelled and you're, you're thinking am i gonna have to stay overnight i mean i once got marooned yeah. in birmingham because of you know snow on the line and and i had to I had to go to a hotel I had nothing on me 
you know, traipse into the supermarket to buy some toothpaste, you know, so all those sorts of things. It's like, no, haven't haven't missed haven't missed that at all. Well, I've been saying to people for years and my wife will will will, will back this up. Um, but I've been saying to people for years that physical meetings were a, to a point were a cultural habit. Yeah. And I get, listen, I get exactly what you're saying. It's not about all suddenly everything happens. There's got to be some pressing of the flesh and having a coffee or a cup of tea or whatever and putting the world to rights maybe a little bit. That's how you establish proper relationships. But it's the number of meetings, yeah. like you said, that one hour meeting. So have the meeting, establish the rapport, establish that you've got something that you can that you feel that you've got something in common business-wise, personal-wise, whatever. But then the next two meetings, you do not need to drive down to Birmingham yeah. down the M6. And I think that what's changed, I suspect, is the very, the idea of suggesting that two years yes. ago yeah. would have sounded as if you were being lazy or yeah. you weren't really that bothered. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know, uh, or maybe Definitely. it's kind of, oh, I suppose so. All right. Well, I'll do it. Whereas now I think it's just a sensible thing to do. Yeah. And apart from anything else, apart from the time it takes, the more efficient, more efficiency it creates. Environmentally friendly. There's environment bit. Yeah. You know, we're not pumping as much crap into the air. Yeah. So yeah. surely it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting because my brother and I worked with a, a lovely client in, in London last year, the Museum of the Order of St. John, which is a small museum in Clerkenwell, which uh, the collection dates back and the buildings to medieval era. So it's part of St. John Ambulance. So the Order of St. John is the forerunner to um, the establishment of, of St. John Ambulance. So they have this lovely collection. There's a small team. In between the lockdowns, we were able to go down and, and have a tour of the, the museum and all its buildings and meet the team. That was the only time we met them in person and we were working on the project over the course of maybe, maybe nearly a year. But we'd established that relationship. And, and all, there's something about being on Zoom when people can see into your house. I mean, I haven't arranged this. This is my office. This is what it looks like. But um, where there's a there's a there's an element of that personal that comes through, and I find that a lot of clients are a bit more relaxed in this way on on video than they would be if you were sat in a in a meeting room with them. And it's so it's amazing you should say that. I, I I do totally agree with that. In fact, we've been talking about it regarding passions because. Uh, we'd been doing some work on uh, values and missions and purpose and all yeah, that kind of stuff. We do all that, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. because it's but, important but places, that we do yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, what's been interesting in those debates is that one of the things that a few people have said is that you're interviewing people in their homes. So there's more there's more intimacy. Yes, yeah. it's over the internet. Yes, it might not be as clear, you know, yeah. as if you were doing a 4K camera shoot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the time it's saving, but you're actually chatting to, I don't know, Austin Healy or, you know, or Robin Cousins in their kitchen or in that, which just creates more of a, like I said, more of a chat feel yeah. rather than an interview feel. Yeah, yeah. What's been funny is that we've had to do pitches for work in this format. Now, that is a challenge, whether you're on the panel or you're being interviewed, um, because um, you're trying to watch 
different reactions on the screen and not interrupt people and it's yeah it's a it's a very different dynamic um and and what you find is quite often <laughs> that sometimes it's almost more formal because people are, are going well we've got these set questions and we're going to do it in this way and and it becomes you don't get the same rapport you would get that you would get in person in that situation so there are pluses and, and minuses it's a completely different thing. I do a fair bit of work for uh, Growth Hub and those sorts of organisations around the Northwest. Uh, and I've been doing a number of webinars for, I hate that word. I've been doing a number of webinars or training sessions, if you like, uh, sometimes two, three hours long in some cases. And you've got 20, 30, 40 people that you are trying to train and teach and inspire and everything else. And I'm quite fortunate, I think, because I managed to make that progression relatively quickly. But I do know some of the people that who are used to delivering that in classroom environments mm. have really struggled. Yeah. And I think it's just because I'm crazy and a bit nuts. So I, I've got that energy going on, you know, yeah. it's just in me, yeah. um, which helps, of course, yeah. in these situations. I, I do some regular training for the Arts Marketing Association and uh, there's a small scale development program they do for smaller arts organisations that don't necessarily have a, uh, a dedicated marketing person. So it's for chief execs to think about audiences. And we had to convert that into uh, an online programme last year. So myself and two other trainers. Um, I mean, the Arts Marketing Association are great to work with because they have a really good team. They're very creative. Training is a core part of what they do. And actually, it worked a lot better than I was expecting because we, we had to, to be really creative about how we did the sessions because there was about 40 or 50 on the programme and then you'd have smaller groups. Whereas they have just asked me this morning to do another session which might have three to 400 on it. So Gosh. I said, well, I'll just have to think about that. And how, how, yeah, I'm up for it. I like a challenge, but uh, that's quite a different a different thing to do. So because um, even though I've got a big monitor at home, I won't see that many people on it. Um, yes, the interactivity so, that is a challenge. The bigger the numbers get, it becomes yeah. more of a what I call a host pipe exactly. approach, doesn't it? Exactly. Hammer yeah. them with information. Yeah. So and, and, and the thing is, if I'd been asked to do that in person, would I have? said yes I don't know I may not have felt as confident to do that in person so mm. you know it's 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 got you thinking in different ways and mm. thinking about different opportunities um, and also uh, testing yourself um, which yeah I yeah really I, I, absolutely and I've been talking to, to clients and potential clients for years now about the use of multimedia in marketing and promotion that's kind of the core of what we're about in a way business development through multimedia. I mean, we do all sorts, but that's the yeah. core of where I get my buzz from in a sense. Um, and that conversation now is so much easier. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I talk now about setting up podcasts or setting up uh, video ch YouTube channels, it, it there was a time where it was like, oh, I'm not doing that, or you're not going to get me on screen, or you're not putting that camera near me, or you, yeah. you know it is. There's loads yeah. of phobias yeah. kicking in. Yeah. Uh, but now the conversation is much more, uh, I suppose it's much more accepted. It's much more bought into 
I guess. I think what's really been fascinating is we remember in that those early days of the first lockdown how that the cultural sector rushed to throw stuff online and um, there was so much stuff and I have to say there was a lot that wasn't very good and and, and it made me cringe to see organisations doing that. They didn't stop to think about their brand, about what they should be doing. Um, and I think it was the National Gallery who 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 did that. They 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 didn't rush. They stopped, and they thought, right, let's approach it in this way. Now, of course, they got more resources, but those organisations who have been investing in in digital, and I mean that across the board. I don't just mean artistic content but I mean from a marketing perspective um, as well those who'd invested in that over over years were the ones that came out doing really well who have engaged with new audiences expanded their audience base and some of them also generating new income streams as a result of it so there's been some amazing learning the challenge is that for a lot of organizations, they were still reaching the same kinds of audiences predominantly just online. Um, so we've still got a lot of work to do as a sector to think about, because I keep saying to clients, just because we're gonna be reopening, do not forget those audiences that you've engaged with online, because that also in includes people who don't live near you, who maybe are disabled and can't even get to you, uh, who maybe are, are stuck at home as a carer or with young children or whatever it is, and you now have a relationship with them. So it's really important that you don't forget about them when you reopen. And so that thinking about, I, I work with um, our digital director at CT Consults, Dan Lucas, and he has, he, we talk about passionate, he's passionate about the power of digital and he has for years said he gets very frustrated with the arts sector in that they they have been they get excited thinking about digital content from the perspective of the art but not in engaging with audiences and tracking what they're doing to be able to measure that engagement and understand the return on investment grow audiences, sell tickets, increase fundraising, get get them sharing content, you know, all of those are what he calls conversion goals. And he said, maybe now people are going to think we have to keep investing in digital as much as the in-person experience and that they are actually integrated and stop thinking about them as being this or that, but think about it as part of the holistic whole. So I really hope that through this awful crisis that there are some positives that come out for our sector and also our ability to work with clients to to make the difference happen and we're doing some really big digital transformation projects actually in the world of tourism um, because there's another sector that um, has been a bit up and down in, in its relationship to harnessing digital technology I think the travel sector has done it really well but tourism has been a bit behind um, so, you know, there's there's positive coming out of that. Um, you know, we we've been working with um, the domestic tourism body in Ireland, Folsha Island, with their in industry suppliers um, to uh, help them on their digital transformation journey. So, um, they've 
they've had funding to develop new websites or upgrade their websites, but also to connect them to online travel booking systems, which probably sounds really dull, but but it's about them getting to new markets and being and actually being able to do that now because otherwise they'd be busy doing the, the normal and prepping for the season whereas they've had to take stock and think right we've got to address that now so hopefully when when they do open up they're in a much better position and that that gets us excited as well is helping those organizations on their on their digital journeys do you know that's so insightful i'm not just saying that it, that is just so insightful on a personal level in the arena i'm in i find that absolutely fascinating so um and the great thing about it of course is that i'll, I'll often say to people that when when we finish with all this lockdown we really must meet in person and have a coffee oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. no excuse helen for us we're doing it we're doing it we're yeah. doing it and probably at sulfur keys and then you yes. can uh, go go back to your your home spirit world as it were <laughs> listen i'm not just saying this i could really talk to you for for a lot longer and i, oh, I will come you know, I've really got, enjoyed few, it. got a few ideas yeah well for somebody who is not very confident and a bit shy you've done a damn good job that's all i can say on the matter yeah well you know i i can i can put my front on uh, years of experience of, of doing that so it always makes me smile actually because you know so many people will say oh i'm shy i can't i don't really like to talk whatever it might be that they say in that kind of arena and yet northerners can always talk well I'm, <laughs> I mean, really? nobody would say i couldn't talk that's for sure <laughs> well there you go and that's all this this is about isn't it so that's yeah. brilliant helen thanks for joining me today on passions uh your passions for everything you do just comes out and it's as i say i'd say the number of people I interview, it just come the minute people start talking about passions that they start to just they just could go on for ages, you know. And some people say, Well, what happens if I dry up? And I say, Trust me, you won't dry up, and nobody's <laughs> dried up <No>. yet. <laughs> so thanks so very much for joining me. I really appreciate your time because uh, you know, I know people's time is valuable at the moment, and I will see you for that tea or coffee. Uh, around Salford Keys in the not too distant future. Brilliant. And uh, thanks for joining me on Passions and sharing your stories and your passions with us. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to that. Thank you. Take care. Bye. -bye. Bye.